Hey, welcome to the party. Do you have trauma? Who doesn't, right? We're all good people here. This is a safe place. Would you like to meet the party hosts? They will show you around and tell you what you need to know. Introducing Dr. David Bonanno and Crystal Roberts, two psychotherapists who have PTSD themselves, but have been let down by the system. Are you searching for answers? You should get to know these people. Grab yourself something to drink and let's party. It's a damn trauma party. All right. So welcome to the trauma party. Dr. Bonanno, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Krista? I'm great. Um, today we are going to talk a little bit about trauma, huh? of course, um, <laughs> but particularly causes of trauma, core aspects of trauma. Um, and what was the other thing you were talking about? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, was, I think about the paramedics and like how, well, it can, different scenarios can lead to traumas and traumatic reactions, but trauma also shows up in situations and scenarios like that of paramedics who are exposed repeatedly to various things. And we were going to talk about like being adrenalized. Right. So yeah, I would like to do that in a different episode. I guess um, today I was thinking we could talk to people about how PTSD is not just for combat veterans and different, different types of events that can cause it. And then how, um, and then asking the question, are most PTSD symptoms the same? Like did, mm-hmm. regardless of the cause. Right. Right. Um, and I'll throw out my argument in the beginning of that, like, PTSD shows up in the body in the same ways, in the same functions, in the same areas, um, kind of regardless of the event or the cause. Um, Now, different people may experience PTSD in different ways, but the mechanisms um, and like the core aspects tend to be across the board regardless of how it happened what do you think yeah that's what i found i i really had no idea until i started um you know helping people to get medical marijuana and interviewing thousands of people and then it really did seem to me like yeah people have very similar symptoms regardless of what the cause was and like one thing that was always kind of interesting to me is like my own startle response I've not been in a situation where somebody like I was ambushed or somebody, um, you know, assaulted me or anything. But if somebody thinks it's super funny to scare me, then I I've thrown people against the wall. I've, I'd almost choked my friend uh, to death <laughs> and uh, they think it's funny. It's not funny for for us. For us. <laughs> right. I mean, it's you just it's it's your body. Right. I mean, like you're saying, like. Or actually, maybe even could I ask you, like, in your mind, how does it present itself in the body? Well, there's tons of ways that could present itself in the body. But, you know, just jumping off of your example of, you know, the startle response and the idea then would be like, okay, he's been ambushed in some way, shape or form or jumped and doesn't have to be that. But you do still have that startle response. And what happens is when something happens to trigger that you go all out. It's like, you're then in the 
fight or defense reaction of the trauma system. Um, and it doesn't really matter what the perceived threat is to the system, to the body. Um, your brain that has been trained to be on and in defense from traumas and threats and dangers goes straight to survival and survival and fight mode is choke a motherfucker out. Like <laughs> you're jumping to that. So that's just primal brain taken over and a traumatic, a traumatically based on like functioning nervous system. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you were never like, even though you were never jumped, even though you were never ambushed, it's still the same. Like our brains still go to certain areas, spaces, like primal modes that involves all of those core survival sort of tactics. And of course, yeah, the, just to, to underscore how there's really no thought process to it. It's mm -hmm. your, yeah, like evolutionarily, you know, there, there's two different ways to act and it's um, in, in psychology, it's called the high road or the low road. Whereas with the high road, you are assessing the situation. You are um, thinking about the options. You're trying to anticipate the consequences of your actions. And then you finally do something. Well, that that just takes too much time in a life or death, you know, snap uh situation so then yeah your low road is the same as we share with animals it's your first option is to fight your second option is to flee and then your third option is to freeze and dissociate and just you know not really feel it and then right yeah yeah do you think like it because i don't know for sure but i'm kind of trying to um just watch my clients and, and see what happens what, what i'm saying is like if for example somebody um it when they experience a trauma if they fought to as a, as a result of that is that their coping style in the future if they froze is that their coping style in the future in 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 terms of any other crisis situations what do you think about that um it can be um and there may be like that could be indication that there is um, a likelihood of that sort of response being their general um, trauma response, their way of responding. Um, however, you know, it's, I wouldn't be comfortable saying that that's 100% across the board and people will freeze in one situation and fight in another. Um, it yeah. can also change time to time, but I say all that to say like short answer is, there's potential that could be like a predetermination of how you may respond in a different situation, but it's not like a guarantee. It can't be guaranteed. You may not respond that same way or a person may not respond that way in every situation or all the time. Yeah. Maybe I'm over trying to oversimplify it. Uh, do I have lines on my head? Not that I see. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, okay. Um, so, you know, one of the things I run into all the time and I always make, sure to address this is how people do not want to be seen as comparing themselves to combat veterans mm -hmm. because i mean of course i really i don't I can't, you know can't say how much respect i have for them and the sacrifices that they make but i'm guessing that if i were a combat veteran i wouldn't want to be such an indelible stereotype in everybody's minds. I mean, 
when anybody thinks of PTSD, including myself back before I knew better, I would always think of combat veterans and thinking that if you, if you're not a combat veteran, then you you don't really have PTSD. I mean, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe like I had a, a therapist friend in Mexico who said that in Mexico, they don't even ever talk about PTSD because they don't want to be crazy. And if they think about PTSD, they think of American combat veterans. That's mm. not, I kind of thought that was such, it's such a, a solid, like, uh, archetype that nobody can get out of their minds so, mm -hmm. so i think people are hesitant to um, get an answer in, in terms of what's going on for them or even treatment because they don't want to be trying to compare themselves to war heroes sure and they might not even acknowledge in their minds that it could potentially be a thing because they're not a, a veteran um like there's there's the judgment end and not wanting to put yourself in comparison with a veteran. Uh, there's also just the sheer lack of acknowledgement that while there's no comparison, there is a whole lot of room for other traumas in the trauma bucket. Um, but it's been so driven and normalized that PTSD equals veteran, veteran equals PTSD, um, that that is the first thing that people think of. And then we don't really acknowledge that, that there are other reasons. Let's talk a little bit about why that might be like, where do you think that came from? How did it get to be PTSD is only for veterans? Well, historically we never had a term for it. Uh, actually, I mean like Freud did say people were histrionic, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. that, that just now a totally different, like diagnosis yeah. in the manual of anyone listening right. needs to differentiate that. And, and for him, he was usually, that usually only applied to women. And of course, you know, he was working with people who had been sexually abused and assaulted. Um, but you know, like even in, in well, I guess in World War II, they called it shell shock, um, right. but didn't really understand it very well. And then the Vietnam war is what, uh, I think really helped psychology to understand PTSD better. And that's when that term came about. But, and, and so then it started, started with that. I mean, so any, any, right. any, yeah, studies or knowledge was coming from these Vietnam veterans, but right. I think overall on an even bigger scale, um, it's such a difficult thing to understand because it's not a function of your logical left brain and, and right. you know, your left brain is the robot brain is what's responsible for speech and, and analysis and everything. And so, you know, that, like to say what PTSD is, is almost kind of to say like, what is, you know, a particular emotion, for example, or love mm -hmm. or whatever, like it's, it doesn't translate all that well. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, like in that ab, in that vacuum, the, the combat veteran archetype is really just what, what stands out. But mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's, you know what? I, I heard that like in um, Hispanic societies, uh, they'll, they'll just say like, well, she had a trauma, like a, tra a trauma. And, uh, and so then they just, it is what it is. Like they don't like here mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the States we're you know, we're always trying to better ourselves and, we, we, we think like, oh, well, you know, like I haven't got time for the pain or, you know, like we like you can just be whoever you want to be in any given second of the day. And uh, so we don't necessarily 
accept that we're slowed down or affected by trauma a lot of the times whereas i think like in other cultures they might just say well yeah it is i mean she's like that or he's like that because of that that's what happened and it's just a simple fact you know wow that would show so much more acceptance and compassion and in some way understanding or acknowledgement well yeah when that yeah <laughs> well you know so your dad is a combat veteran from vietnam does yeah. he, as far as you know, does he like scoff at other people who who might say they have PTSD? Where I mean, is he kind of like, oh, how could they have PTSD? I'm, I went through much more than they did. I don't think so. Um, I've never seen anything that that points in that direction from him. Now in general not understanding what ptsd is or even how it manifests in all kinds of different areas and ways in life i think that he doesn't understand so then on one hand if there's somebody in front of him that you know we're talking about or is a certain way and the thought that they have ptsd like would be i don't really understand how that's ptsd but then even for himself I don't think he understands how PTSD has manifested in his life in so many different ways because he doesn't understand PTSD, which is the masses. Like that's, that's the norm to right. like, people don't understand what it is or what all it is and how it shows up, how it could show up, um, how it could manifest. And uh, there's just still such a, misunderstanding but also lack of understanding and yes both um in the world about it so no he's never like scoffed at you know somebody else couldn't be experiencing that but i yeah, think it was just um, also important to me to highlight that it, i don't think he recognized the magnitude of ptsd generally yeah i'm glad you brought that up that that really is the norm and that people don't understand it they don't get it and and I get frustrated sometimes with professionals who don't get it, but I was one of those people. I had I didn't know I had PTSD until 10 years after I got my doctorate. And then like I, I told you how, how I had that epiphany. Um, it's just a hard thing to put your finger on, isn't it? I mean, it's just oh, yeah. like depression. I mean, what really is depression? I mean, mm -hmm. this is just a little side. Um, you know, I, I had major depression for like 15 years and people would ask me, well, what are you depressed about? Like what I'm going to say, because the Celtics lost or because the economy sucks? Like, no, it's it's much more complicated than that. And, and really what I think depression is about is energy. And, you know, do you have the energy to uh, want to connect with other people and other things? And and if you don't, then, then yeah, then you're going to feel sad after, afterwards, but that's a byproduct. It's not what's really going on there. So when it comes to PTSD, I mean, I'll, I'll just, you know, give the audience my um, quick and dirty definition of what it is. It's just, you know, your fight or flight system is is just on all the time, pretty much. And it goes up really quick and it, slow, and it's, and it slows down really slowly. And, and it's always there to some degree. And I think that's what really makes it hard for people to slow down their thoughts or to relax or to sleep. You know, I... You, you are much more up on the research than I am, but I never knew there was any type of a link between insomnia and PTSD until I started interviewing people. Is there research out there as far as you know? About that? Yeah. 
Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it we'll talk about nightmares, but they're intertwined too. Like they might hit on nightmares and insomnia, but insomnia in general, um, yeah, there's some information about that's in the correlation connection PTSD. Yeah, there must be. But but I had, you know, like my approach to psychology has been to not be up on the research. I've, I've just kind of been sort of out in the wind just having like ideas come to me and and one day i mean and you know just having that um so many people that i've i've come across like ten thousand people one day i was like yeah none of them can sleep i can't really sleep that well maybe it's because of adrenaline and and you know like every time i say adrenaline i i'm sighing because like I just get frustrated with science sometimes. I read an article a couple of years ago. You know, it's, it's not just adrenaline; it's cortisol. It's like quote the stress hormones, whatever they are. Um, I read an article saying that it's not even adrenaline; it's it's osteocalcin that per, per, uh, that initiates the fight or flight response. Like how how the hell did what the hell is osteocalcin? And how did you not know that until a couple of years ago? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like you have right. to have science, you have to have researchers, but I find research to be lacking a lot of times sure, in psychology yeah. in psychology, the young field too. But um, yeah, I just, it, it, I get frustrated and I, I, I wish that it could move faster than the speed of research. That's oh, what yeah, about. absolutely. So, um, so yeah, with PTSD, you know, like what I tell people is I, I try to give out a bunch of examples for them to latch onto, um, so that, you know, they, they can understand whether they do have it or not. So I, the, what I say is like, you know, it could be from growing up with a parent with mental health or addiction issues or growing up in, even in a tough area. Um, it could be from being bullied in school. I have a lot of people where that really stays with them through adulthood. Uh, it could be from being incarcerated. Most people who are incarcerated had PTSD before they went in. And that's really mm-hmm. something we can talk about. After they go, they come out, they all have it, all of them. And uh, so that's one, one uh, way to get it. <laughs> or it could be from accidents or assaults or seeing stuff like that or abusive relationships. Um, basically it's anything that I think is really kind of training your brain to be more vigilant and cautious in the future. And, and then, you know, for trauma, I like the definition of it's any psychological injury that is unresolved that still affects you today. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure you've come across all kinds of people who have had all kinds of trauma stories. I, I, I remember being out of training where this this guy was saying that he had a patient who was had a phobia of stuffed olives, and obviously there must have been something traumatic that, were, that happened with stuffed olives. But I mean, it could right, yeah. be all kinds of stuff that's that's caused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think trauma, like some things that can be pinned down, because truly, how do you exactly describe fully in all of the ways something that is so complex um you know there's there's not really putting it in a box um so i think some core aspects that i've recognized in in my career 
is that like trauma in essentially in some way, shape or form involves a major threat. And that can be a major threat physically. It can be a major threat psychologically. I don't think people recognize how much like the whole, this is a threat to my psyche um, sort of thing plays into trauma because it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be covert happenings. It can be the underlying psychological effects of, you know, manipulation or like fill in the blanks, um, that create this psychological wound. And some part of you can recognize when your psyche is in danger. And so if there's a threat to psyche too, then that also would ignite trauma response, but it involves a threat in some way, shape or form. That threat is a perceived threat. It's not necessarily a factual threat. It does not have to be a factual threat. Um, but the alarms go off that threat or danger is there in some way, shape or form. And then the other thing is like a loss of control, a powerlessness in a moment literally or like figuratively or psychologically. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh man. That's such a great point you made about it being a perceived threat because I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on. It can't be PTSD because your life wasn't actually in danger. Well, no, that's, that's just not the right way to think about it. Like, right. yeah, with my, and then of course, you know, complex PTSD is a PTSD that's from, it's not like one, a singular event that just rocks your brain it's it's over time mm -hmm. and so for example like growing up with carol bonanno my mother um i was always like at any given time i she could be screaming at me and i'm the biggest asshole in the world so i yeah my life was never in danger literally but it was certainly a threat and and caused all kinds of uh, repercussions including shame and guilt and um, worthlessness and all, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, over time, it really did train my brain to be hypervigilant and constantly bracing myself around her or other people, women, especially, but also any kind of confrontational situation. It, it just, um, yeah, like uh, it hard kind of hardwired itself. Um, and then I, I have done plenty of work, you know, with eye movement therapies and that has helped me, but unfortunately not as much as I wanted it to. And I, I think maybe it, for me personally, I'll still have to continue that work. But I, I guess maybe part of what was going on is like I was so much in my head about it for decades as a psychologist, as a, as a therapist, as a client, that maybe I just kind of complicated everything. I used to think of it as like the in Greek mythology, you know, you have the Hydra, which is like this two-headed snake and then you cut off one of the heads and two grow in its place so like when i meet people who are um not necessarily that psychologically sophisticated not saying they're dumb or anything but just like not they're kind of more simple and not as much in their heads it's a lot easier to treat them as opposed to somebody who has analyzed everything to death because there's just so many different points you got to hit and it's not easy to get such a strong toehold on their pathology sure but yeah, really good point. It's it it doesn't have to be that you're actually in danger, physical danger. It's yeah, psychological threats are are just as damaging. Absolutely. And then even witnessing those things happening to other people um in big ways, repeated ways, what have you, th those things 
can also produce traumas. Um, so I think a, a big thing here is there is no one or five causes of trauma. Um, or at least that's my stance. How about yours? Right. Yeah, no, I have to really have to agree with that. When I was in school, a study came out that suggested that women who were sexually assaulted, who didn't necessarily make a big deal out of it, like like they, they had less symptoms. And that was very controversial because rape is horrible. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, but, but um, I guess what I'm, I, I want to ask you what you think about that, because you have a lot of experience working with um, rape victims, but also what is it about sexual assault that is so particularly damaging? Hmm. Both of those things bring up like 20 different points in my head. So now I'm going through it. I'm like, okay, where do I start? Yeah, um, and then I'll forget 15 of them and come back to it another time. <laughs> but um, let's start with why sexual assaults or sexual related traumas may be so particularly or just differently. I don't know. I have a, I have a really hard time and then it's just like conscientious effort to not compare much of anything just because I really appreciated it one time I heard um a therapist say that there is no hierarchy of pain um so kind of like the same idea like there's not necessarily a hierarchy of trauma um you know worse better not necessarily just different in its own ways um but something that makes sexual assault different that would then make it particularly impactful I believe would be related to the loss of control and power of such like the deepest personal vulnerable aspects of you that are yours and yours alone hmm. and, till they're taken from you huh. um or in some way shown that you don't have control um yes yeah, so what somebody told me um he was like saying that like with your sexual um system you're it's like attached to everything like you know it's like one of the it's really the main goal in life is to procreate. And so like this guy was theorizing that it's just so much a part of you. It's involved with everything you do. And I guess, you know, Freud, he would, he kind of sexualized everything, but he, he was onto something there. I mean, so I like how you put that though. It's like, so, so personal, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like as, as deep a personal space as you can ever get psychologically or physically. And that makes it a particularly vulnerable topic area experience. Um, and of course, there's psychological things tied up in that too that could be framed more in ideas and thoughts, but generally down at the core of it in our psyche and in our bodies and our nervous systems. 
I find that to be my theory of the why there. Yeah, right on. And then like, so we did agree that for the most part, it, it the different causes of PTSD kind of converge into a similar constellation of symptoms. But is there anything in particular about like sexual assault victims that that may be a little bit different from the other everybody else? Mm. I would say in the ways in which trauma becomes stuck in the body for sexual assault survivors, maybe particularly strong um, or apparent. And when that happens, that it often results in essentially your trauma dictating way more of your days and just being in activities than you ever realize is actually your trauma, um, like down into health issues. And, um, you know, it, it can definitely be the PTSD sort of symptoms that we talk about more on the psychological and behavioral end, but it can, it can also be like health wise, um, and into, activities of daily living and to things that would not seem directly correlated to any sort of trauma, but absolutely can be if you, if you know what to look for and, and to trace it. Yeah. So. Right. One of the things about PTSD that I think people who don't have it can't really understand is that you, you just don't feel good. Like almost never. And, you know, people can think like, oh, well, I, I know what it's like to not feel good, but you don't know what it's like to like really pretty much never feel good. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being in college and this woman was telling me like, oh, my God, I just go for a run and I, I just everything about me just like, oh, I just feel so relaxed. I'm like, I'm looking at her like, I don't know what the hell you're talking. I don't have no idea what you what you're telling me. And mm -hmm. so. um and, you know, there's an 80%, I think it's higher, but 80% correlation between addiction and PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I'm sort of getting at is because, so so maybe with sexual trauma, you feel even worse in your body? I, I wonder. I don't know. I mean, like, you just don't feel good. I don't, I don't know. Well, there's definitely more likelihood for, like, personal, like, internal disconnection, depersonalization, derealization. Um, there's a lot more room for like self to be against self, um, like, you know, body and psyche sort of, um, not being on the same page, um, without a clear understanding of why, which creates a lot of inner turmoil and sickness. Um, uh. but I don't know, still not necessarily a worse or a better sort of arena, just it may be more prominent and this isn't coming from clinical research. I'm just saying in my studies and things that I have found, um, something that might set trauma for sexual assault survivors apart would be how much it, it does get stuck and show up in the body, um, in ways that you wouldn't even necessarily connect to it. Yeah. Right on. <clears throat> um, do you have an idea of why so many um, 
people who have been abused sexually become pro, uh, hypersexual? Mm, yeah. Um, a big part of that could be uh, like a paradoxical effort to regain control of something that was, you know, control was stripped from them in the sense of like, um, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to do this. Um, I be, I have become hypersexual and I'm enjoying sex and all of this. And sometimes maybe that's just as authentic as it gets. And like, I hope that for them sometimes though, it can be a psychological showing up of an effort to take back their control of sexual activity. Like I'm going to choose this. I'm going to dominate in ways, literally figuratively. Um, it's up to you and your preferences, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to dominate the situation. I'm going to conquer this situation. I'm not going to, I'm going to experience it and maybe even a lot, but I'm not going to ever let it be out of my control again. Um, and then there can also be parts of reenactment. Um, so reenactment, reenactment in play is something that I think traces back to originally to Freud too. Um, but we as humans do find like it's subconsciously driven. It's not necessarily a conscious awareness of like, Ooh, I'm going to go through this again. But we do kind of have this undercurrent of drive to ourselves to repeat situations and scenarios of our lives that were traumatic so as to gain a sense of control over it, a sense of resolution over it again. The problem there is we never really acknowledged that there was trauma in general and we didn't build any different coping skills or understandings of, you know, what to do or ways to treat or even what's going on. And so you then are just re-traumatizing yourself over and over again. But the subconscious effort and desire is to regain control, to have the situation play out a different way. Wow. Wow. That's good. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That, that, that's wild. All right. <laughs> uh, also very complex. So those main points that I made are definitely not all that there is. And I could probably talk about it for hours and maybe we will again sometime. I just yeah. want it to be known that like, yeah, those are some prominent theories that I have, but there's a complexity to trauma generally. And there's a different complexity that can be involving um, sexual assault survivors, sexual abuse survivors. So um there's five bajillion pieces of land in that territory that I couldn't hit just given a couple of thoughts right. and ideas and theories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, like when you hear about sexual assault, um, it's not necessarily about sex. I mean, why, why do people do it? I, I wish, I mean, I've talked to so many um, people to call them survivors. I, like you're defined once again, you're defining them by their unchangeable past and by what happened to them. So, I mean, like in, in a way it's empowering to say survivor, but in a way it's not, it's not. What, do you, what do you think about that? I definitely agree with that. Um, and I definitely think that there's not something that I found that's super um, ideal in, in calling them, um, you know, yeah. we're in a world where labels have to exist for some reason. So if we're going to call it something, I don't, you know, I don't know what, 
we should call it. I mm. myself out of the options of victim and survivor, uh, prefer to use survivor because I think yeah. victim defines you even further in a different direction. So, yeah. um, I definitely agree with you, but my, um, a vetoed victim, unless it's absolutely necessary for a point. <laughs> yeah. Right on. All right. Well, um, yeah, this is very interesting. Uh, uh, we we started with uh, you know one one thing, and we ended up here, and uh, that's yeah. that's a cool thing about uh, th- what we want for this podcast. I mean, to, that's part of why you know we we don't we came into this not necessarily knowing each other. I, I do want to get to know you better, but um, that's one of, like you know it's just what happens when the minds meet and where you go. Yeah. Hopefully, other, other people think it's not boring. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think that I think that we'll find our people, but I love that this is the way that we go about it because the the most natural way of flowing conversation and ideas allows all of them and the best of them to come out versus the extreme structure can take away from some of that. Right on. All right. Well, um, I guess that's about it for today's episode. And thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let us know what you think, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. See you on the other side. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Party's over. <laughs> Don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Okay, everybody, the party's over. Isn't it fun to talk about trauma? Thank you so much for coming. We really got to do this again soon, right? Can't wait to see you at the next trauma party. Woohoo!